That was interesting, Brother uh, Martin mentioned earlier, is it approved by God? And that's the question we need to ask about our music. Is it approved by God? Uh, you know, I, I think it was Brother uh, Walker, you were saved at 19, I think you told me. And I don't know if he did, but if he didn't, and he, he may well not have, he probably, he might have known better, but a lot of young Christians don't. And he was saved and was in a rock band or something playing the guitar and and who knows i've met others though if he didn't they started trying to use the same music put christian words to it and think oh man i can use my talent for the lord well you might be able to use your talent playing the guitar for the lord but you're gonna have to change your music in order for it to really glorify and honor god of course i love to talk about music and love to study music and love to find out what christian music is and what the proper christian music is because music Rock music had a part in my salvation. Not the way that <clears throat> these other churches would have you think. They say, oh, what we do is we get the world's music. You know, this music sounds like the world's music. We'll put Christian words to it, and that'll lead people to the Lord. That's not what happened to me. It was preaching of the law. <laughs> it was knowing that that rock music I was listening to was sin that had a part in my salvation. So that's the way music, the rock music had a part in my salvation when I was 12. I was listening to... The wrong music, the rock music, the world's music, the devil's music. Some people don't want to believe it's the devil's music, but they can be wrong. Um, so I was listening to that. I knew it was wrong from the church I went to and the different things that I'd heard preached. And I wanted to cease from that sin in my life and couldn't do it and prayed about it and still couldn't do it and couldn't get any victory. And I said, well, you know, Lord, you've promised a victory. That we can have victory over all sin. You always give us a way to escape every temptation. What's wrong here? Well, the problem wasn't God's word. The problem wasn't, uh, the problem wasn't God. And so the problem was me. I wasn't saved. And that's a promise to Christians. So I, then I got saved after that. And the rock music went out the window. And so it, it was gone. I don't, I don't like it. I don't want to listen to it. I didn't change it. I didn't change anything. God changed it. He changed my heart. I mean, I still have lots of sin. There's a lot of things I wish God would take away, all pride out of my life, all unkindness. I wish God would take those things away, but I'm still battling with the flesh on those things. But the rock music, I don't go places. I I avoid places that play. Unfortunately, I can't avoid them all. But uh, God changed my heart. I don't want to listen to it. I don't turn on the radio to listen to rock music because I don't want to. And uh, so I thank the Lord for that. I'd like us to think about the the origin of music, where music came from. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17. Here we the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. God has music. And God God would be the one who had music first. And uh, he created music. The right kind, of course. And notice here that music here is associated with joy as well. It's a natural response when you're happy to sing. In fact, it says it forget the verse it's in james probably have it on another sheet of paper somewhere uh 
James 5.13 Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. And uh, sing. What's he singing as well? He's singing psalms. Scripture. And it's a natural response to joy. is singing. And uh, that's what God does as well. Oh, right there on that same paper too. <laughs> uh, Revelation 5 verse 9. There's music in heaven. It's around God. He's put it there. Because he created the angels who are singing here. And then he created the, the all these, uh, I think this is the 4 and 20 elders singing in Revelation 5 verse 9. And they sang, sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and na people and nation. Oh, they redeemed us unto God by thy blood. Well, that's, that's of course, Jesus Christ there. Um, so, Philippians 4, verse 8. Uh, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. This is a guiding principle, just as our brother Martin said, is it approved by God? And so what kind of music should we have, not just in church? What should we have in our homes? What should we have in our automobiles? By the way, if you're having a problem with a teenager... And they are having, uh, they're, they're listening, you think they're listening to the wrong kind of music. If you need to, take the radio right out of your car. When they use the car, especially. You can get one of those detachable faceplates. Nowadays, they made it convenient for you. You can get a detachable faceplate, parent, and you can take that faceplate off there, and that teenager's not listening to any music in that car. They're going to have to sing it, but, uh, and that'd be a shame. But, uh, you know, but, I mean, I know that we should work on our teens' hearts, and they shouldn't want to listen to the wrong music. They shouldn't have heard it, but, you know... I don't maybe you get saved a little bit later and you're, maybe your teenager's been listening to the rock music and maybe they've gotten it from maybe you place them in the ungodly public school or whatever you've done you've messed up already well if you have to take the radio right out of the car if they're going to use the car maybe you're not going to let them use the car that'd be fine um well whatever do what you have to do you as a parent you are responsible as has already been preached the the father brother Stephen mentioned the father is ultimately responsible for the spiritual growth of his family and do what what is necessary don't think you're going to extreme measures i think of i think of stephen on on another area but as far as being what we might consider extreme i think of brother stephen harvey my brother-in-law and uh before he got married for about two weeks before he got married he would not go to his wife's house and visit he would talk to her but he wouldn't go there he said, the temptation's getting too great. I'm almost married. I'm not going to mess up at the last minute. You might have to be extreme. You might think he was crazy. But I'll tell you what, he was pure when he got married. So thank the Lord. And you, have to, you may have to go to what people think are extreme. Other Christians may think you're extreme. Well, be extreme. That's fine. As pastor was mentioned, fanatic. Be a fanatic for God. And uh, Psalm 19, verse 1, the... The he a psalm to the chief musician, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The reason I point out that verse is God has created all things, and as you 
maybe go different places and you see a picture on a wall, oftentimes you'll see pictures of scenery. And they call that art. And it is art. But, uh, and, but what they've painted, what, what they painted? They've painted something like what God has painted. So who, put, who made the original? Well, God did. So that's art. That's God's art. Now, art, something about art, and music is an art as well. Uh, so talking about art in general, art is there to communicate a message. It has something that the, the artist is trying to communicate something to you. It's not just a neutral thing. They are trying to tell you something. And uh, art, it has uh, beauty. It has order. This modern art is an art at all to me. It's crazy. When I first saw it, I didn't like it. I haven't changed my mind. Uh, it has order. It has climax. Do you look at the bottom of a mountain when you see a mountain? <laughs> Not much. It has contrast. Um, color. Any, this word color is even used to describe music as well. Uh, texture. Purpose, form, and harmony. And that word harmony, although primarily applied to music, is also applied to even like paintings and things like that as well. They talk about these different characteristics of art. And it's all blended together to give you a message. It's something that, it, that they want to communicate to you. And uh, so other verses about art. Uh, well, here's, oh, here's the message that God has for his art. It's Revel, uh, Romans, not Revelation, Romans one twenty. Turn there, this, this is important. This is what God's art is trying to communicate to you. For the invisible things of Him, talking about God, the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God's message for you through his art is his, the invisible things of him and his eternal power and Godhead. God wants you to know he's an infinite God. He's everlasting and that he is God. That's what he wants to communicate to you through his art. And he tells you right there in his word. And then leaving us without an excuse to believe that there is a God and believe that He's an eternal God and an infinite God and an everlasting God. We're without excuse to not believe that. And unfortunately, for some people who've never heard the gospel, they're without excuse, but that'll be all they've got. And so that's why we need to emphasize evangelism and missionaries, missions, so that these others can hear more than just God's art. They get more than just that message. They also get the message of the Word of God. Um, music has great power. Some scriptural examples. 1 Samuel And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took an harp and played with his hands. So Saul was refreshed and was well. 
and the evil spirit departed from him. It was the music that was played. I don't know if David sang. The Bible does not leave it clear. I know he did write many of the Psalms, so it's likely that he did. But I do know that he played with his hand on the harp. That's absolutely clear, and that caused the evil spirit to depart from Saul. It was the effect of the music. Music is a language of emotions. Now, this, this is interesting. It's, it's people say that all the time, but I was in college, and uh, I would sometimes pick up the Daily Collegian at Penn State University. Now, Penn State is not a godly college at all. They're full of the sodomites, and there was nothing Christian about it. Drunkenness was terrible. Of course, I was encouraged to, you know, to, to partake of alcohol, which I did not, thank the Lord. And, uh, but, I mean, so I was a Christian there, and all, most of the other Christians I met there, they were compromisers. They were using the wrong Bible versions, and they, if they were women, they dressed in their pants, and they looked like the world and did just about everything the world did. Maybe they didn't drink alcohol, but um, it was a mess. But here, here's an article I pulled out of the Daily Collegian. It's March 17, 1989. It says, Emotional Music. I will not read the whole thing, uh, but here's some, some ungodly people, professors, and they did, they're doing studies on what effect music had on people and on um, rats as well. But they, they studied what it would do even to people. They would, have, uh, they would have a movie that they would show a movie or a film just to people probably to students, a bunch of psychology students, and they'd get extra credit if they'd partake, participate in these experiments. And they'd have the, the same film, but they'd have a different, as they call it, soundtrack, different musical score while this film was playing. And they'd have different, they'd interview the people afterwards, and the people would have a different response to that film based on just the music that was played. Um, but the visual experience was the same. But the musical experience was different. And uh, so it was, it, this is pretty, pretty interesting. It's pretty brief. There's nothing really graphic in this. But it, they, they did some response with uh, dogs and or some experiments with dogs and different things. And, and uh, here's one thing. They, that it doesn't say what they were, where they did this, but he said uh, about this one guy who, who's a uh, head of the jazz department. He said, regarding his performer, Yoder says, when there is more upbeat music, there is more noise and movement in the club. I'm sure that's a nightclub, unfortunately. It's just the opposite with slower pieces. I was in Korea. Of course, again, there's a big emphasis on alcohol. Most of the men over there, their wives are not there. And, of course, I was, again, in the Army, encouraged to drink and partake of that alcohol. And Some of these things, I'd have to go to different things. And I remember talking to a sergeant. And uh, I forget, I was in the NCO club for some lunch or something, and, and I said something like, well, I, I like some of this classical music. And um, it's not Bible music or, or, or uh, religious music, as it were. But, and he said, and this sergeant said to me, well, you, you just don't play Mozart in the club. It just doesn't fit with drinking beer. And uh, so that was pretty interesting. Unsaved guy, but that's what he said to me. I forget his name by now. Music has great power. Another one, uh, 2 Kings 3.15. This, this one's really interesting to me. 
This is Elisha. He's out meeting with the king of Judah and, uh, and the king of Israel. And Elisha says, well, I shouldn't even be talking to you. If it wasn't for the king of Judah that was here, I wouldn't even be here. And so he's talking to, to the king of uh, Judah. And uh, verse 15, he says, but, bring me now, or, but now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And, and he said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. So when the minstrel played is when he started prophesying, and the, the Spirit of the Lord told him what to say, and he told him what to do, and they won the battle uh, as well. And so this minstrel uh, was a musician. I'm not, but uh, is that one... What's interesting, and I've never, I've never... Since I don't have a television, I wouldn't do this, but... Uh, you go places, and um, unfortunately now in our society, there's television there, but uh, this uh, Tim Fisher, I've read a, a book of his on music, and he said what you can do is if you would ever watch one of these dance programs, and they're all pl- and he said if you turn the volume down because you don't want to be, you don't have the filth of the music in anyway, uh, but even that, you know, he said turn the volume down and watch one of these dance programs, and then when they sometimes take the camera and it pans the audience, Look at how these people are moving. He said, see that with an American uh, dance program, with a jazz program or something. See what it does even on a Latino dance program, something that's more Mexican or Spanish. And and uh, doesn't matter what the makeup of the audience is, and even the music can be different. One could be in Spanish and one in English or different, and European and, you know, I don't know, German or whatever. And the musical response, the way these people are shaking their bodies, is all the same. It's the music that does it. It's not the words that are doing it. It's the music. And uh, so music has great power. Um, I'll read uh, a few quotes from a friend of mine, William Deerking, and he uh, has compiled many quotes about music and its, and its power. And uh, some of these people, I don't know t- too much about most of these people, but um, this guy named Little Richard... Apparently, I believe this guy was a sodomite. Uh, he says, rock and roll is devastation to the soul. Uh, <clears throat> Spencer Dryden, don't have a clue, some rock, as they call them, musicians, a bunch of noisemakers anyway, says, get them while they're young, bend their minds. Um, Jerry Rubin, who's a communist, we see rock and roll as a part of a communist plot to take over uh, America. Uh, Peter Townshend, rock is going to kill me somehow. It gets everybody in the end. John Sinclair, he's a manager for one of these rock bands. I don't even know what to call these things. He said, rock and roll music is rebellion. Um, but they said, rock has great power. And what some of the other things here. Uh, Dr. John Diamond. The music on the top 100 is as addictive as drugs and is as dangerous. It fragments our brain waves and weakens our muscles. It undermines our health, increases our aggression, and poisons our environment. Uh, where is this? Erwin um, Silber, a Marxist. Um, the greatest strength of rock, or the great strength of rock and roll, lies in its beat. Um, it is a music which is basically unpuritan and a threat to established patterns and values. Um, 
David Noble, in his biography of John Lennon, young men and women are being exploited and manipulated by clever musical pornographers. We talk about pornography, and rock and roll music is the music of pornography. It's the music of rebellion, um, and people don't want to don't want to admit that. They say, how can you call that the music of rebellion? Well, the people that are listening to it are the rebellious people. And if they're not when they start, they will be by the time they're finished. And their lifestyle and all these the hippies, what music do they listen to? And the hippies, what, what was their, as we would say, culture? They were against the culture. They were a counterculture. They wanted to go against everything that was good and normal and right. The men grew their hair long. Why? Because it was proper for them to have their hair short. And they would do all this and all kinds of involvement and fornication and a mess. And they wanted to destroy everything that was moral. They were against it. And they were rebellious. Primarily, they were rebellious against God. Uh, there, there's so many and I can't even, you know, it would, I can't read everything that I have on this paper. It would not be fit for me to read it. Uh, you know, not not to you all anyway, uh, to everyone that's here. And that's the term rock and roll comes and describes fornication. That's where it came from, I think, in approximately the 1950s. That's where the term has come from. If that doesn't tell you that there's something wrong with it, you really need to do some serious thinking. Music has uh, great effects as well. If you were to... Listen to a John Sousa, John Philip Sousa march, the Stars and Stripes Forever. What does it make you feel like you want to do? Play it to your three-year-old kid and see what he wants to do. He's going to get up. He's going to start walking around the room, marching to the time of the, the music. And that music has that effect on our bodies. And uh, if you were to listen to a Strauss waltz, you'll be going back and forth. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Music has an effect on us. But uh, music... Uh, is a part of our praise and worship. Psalms is a book in the Bible. It's the longest book in the Bible, 150 psalms. And it is the songbook of the Bible. I mean, if it's the longest book and the whole thing is a songbook, I would think it's pretty important. Uh, and additionally, Second uh, Chronicles 29, 25. I've never seen this. And of course, I've read through my Bible many times. But just never really struck me. We think of David. He was a musician. And God gave him the Psalms. He wrote many of them. So, I mean, since that's the word of God, it was given to him by God. But we think of David setting up the, the, the Levitical singers, the singers that were Levites. And we think he set that up. And he did. But why? Second Chronicles 29, 25. And he set, and that's David, and he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with psalteries, and with harps, according to the commandment of David. Oh, no, it was David commanded, but this is Hezekiah years later. And of Gad, the king's seer, and Nathan, the prophet. For so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. David did it, but why? Because David was told to do so by the Lord through his prophets. And so we think of David as setting it all up, and we don't really see that, that, the, that Gad and Nathan had told him to do that until Hezekiah. Years and years and years uh, later, I didn't 
study out how many years Hezekiah is after David. But I think it's hundreds of years after David's dead and gone, we have it set down in the Holy Scripture that David did it because God told him to. Music is a very important part of our worship. And pastor says, you know, what do we have? We've got preaching. We've got uh, singing and giving and well, singing. It's giving and unusual, uh, preaching, uh, preaching and singing and giving. There's one other thing. Prayer, prayer is our, our worship. So there's four parts, our giving, our prayer, our preaching, and our worship, and our music. That's worship that we have in the house of God. And uh, so David set up all these things. There was a great deal of qualifications for these priests and Levites who led this music in the house of the Lord, and some just sang it. And, and many taught it, different things. First Chronicles 15 uh, lists many uh, tasks or many qualifications of these people. They had to be, First uh, Chronicles 15, verse 16. And David spake to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers with instruments and music, psalteries and harps. And so these people, they were, they had to be Levites. And, uh, so they had to be born right. And, of course, the tribe of Levi is where we get the priests from or where the, the priests came from as well. And there was uh, qualifications. They, were, they had to be well organized. They were appointed for specific tasks. Uh, they were educated and trained. They were skillful. Uh, they had to practice uh, much, a great time and, and different things. And they were full-time. They were provided houses. Um, I mean, the, the, these singers, these Levites, they were paid with, the tithes uh, of the land and different things, the offerings. They wore distinctive robes. It tells us in Second Chronicles 5, verse 12. Um, they were in Ezra 7, 24. It tells us that they were treated uh, on par with the other religious leaders. And First uh, Chronicles 23, 3 through 5, they had to be mature as well. Second um, Chronicles 34, 30 through 32, they were models of obedience to God's word. These were full-time men. That's what they did. They were in the Lord's service, and their job wasn't to preach. Their job was to sing, to play instruments, and to teach others as well. And so it's a very important part of our worship. And, of course, we can go through the Psalms and even some other places. Judges 5.3 Hear, O ye kings, give ear, O ye princes. I, even I, will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord, God of Israel. I think that's Deborah at that time. Um, 2 Samuel twenty-two fifty. Therefore I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen. I will sing praises unto thy name. And then there's just countless uh, in the Psalms. I will praise the Lord, Psalm 7, 17. I will praise the Lord according to His righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, Most High. Psalm nine eleven. Sing praises to the Lord, which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people His doings. So here we have the songs as our songbook, and then this, you know, sing praises to the Lord. A lot of these places we see this, they can be taken as a command. You are to do it. So it's commanded. We are, we are to, and why would God give us a songbook unless He expected us to use it? So we're commanded and that what, what we are, that we're given the equipment, uh, you know, of course, the equipment being our voice, but I mean, we're given the, the things to sing as well. God gave it to us, and uh, he gave it to us for a reason, and uh, so many references through the Psalms about singing, and 
most of the time we are singing unto the Lord is what it says uh, direct connection I will sing unto the Lord or sing unto the Lord or and sometimes it's even the the trees are clapping their hands um, and different that you know even the creation as a, in a way uh, portrayed as singing to the Lord and so this thing about singing to the Lord is so important and how can we bring an unholy offering with our voice or with a music that we play to the Lord it will not be accepted when we bring something that is unholy to God it will it is not pleasing to him it's not accepted second chronicles 5:13 and 14 here we have an example of uh, an offering that was accepted second chronicles 5:13 and 14 And it came to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. They were singing one sound is unified and praising the Lord and that was accepted and it, it was then that God filled the house with his cloud of glory and they couldn't, they couldn't be in there. It was too glorious uh, for them. And uh, that's amazing, but it shows God's acceptance of that music that they were, they were singing and they were playing and there is the proper music and it made it, it it caused God to, that is the time when he showed his glory. <clears throat> uh, interesting enough, uh, music is, is worship, but we can't really worship until we're holy. Uh, we have to have our hearts right. If we can be singing the proper music, but if our heart's not in it, then is it really worship? No. We can't worship God and be adoring God unless we really, in our heart, are adoring God, even if we have the right music, and that's important. And so when we have a dead music service, <clears throat> it's, I mean, some of these people, they get, they're accustomed to the wrong kind of music. And they come to a church that's truly worshiping and praising God, but it doesn't do anything for them. Why doesn't it do anything for them? Their heart. It's not, it's their own indifference their own coldness to the things of the Lord that that music doesn't stir their soul. That's the problem. It's not the fault of proper psalms or the proper hymns or even spiritual songs. Um, of course, we mentioned God is the true audience, but the musical communication experts say that uh, the, of the communication between a person who sings and uh, those who would hear, that 55% is facial and body language, 38% of the communication is vocal inflection, and 7% of it is verbal, well, the words that you actually hear. And so most of it, and if, it, if facial and body language didn't make a difference, would we be as blessed if instead of having the walkers come up here and sing, why don't we just pull out their CD and play it over to the loudspeakers? 
the, the facial expressions and, of course, their lives as they're living for the Lord and how that is something is, is what communicates a message. You can be sometimes even truly blessed by some of these people who love the Lord and they may not have the best voice. Their voice may have some cracks in it or whatever, but you know that person. They're, maybe you've been to this church and you know that person and know who they are and you know how much they really love the Lord and they sing and it's not the best, most pleasing sound, but you know that person believes it and you can get a real blessing out of that because of the person. And they're singing to the Lord. And it may not be the absolute best sounding. And we should be, and I've talked about it the last time, we should be well rehearsed. We should do everything we can to communicate the message and not distract. But the life of the person, and that, that's important um, <clears throat> in the, the musical message. But again, the primary audience is God. It's, and when we pray, our, our, our audience is God, especially when we pray and we're all gathered up there in a men's, men's meeting. It's so easy, uh, men's prayer meeting, it's so easy for us to be praying. And, well, you know, I want to say something that'll, that'll bless these other brethren. Well, if we're really right with the Lord and praying to the Lord, it will bless them. But we need to not be so worried about what we're saying and how these other brethren are perceiving it. And it's so easy to be caught in that trap as well with the music as we sing. You know, uh, we need to remember that God is the primary audience for our music psalm 40 verse uh well start at verse one psalm 40 when we see here we'll read verses one through three uh, to the chief musician a psalm of david I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. It's a new song. And when you study it out, new and song are often together in the Bible. Uh, it's quite frequent, so it's important that this is a new song. Um, and it's not necessarily new in chronological age, but new in freshness and quality. And certainly, in my particular case especially, my song changed when I got saved because I didn't want the music of the world. And uh, so my song changed, and I'm thankful. I was saved so young, I mean, I didn't. I wasn't a rock musician, and so I didn't have as much of a struggle. It just God, since God had used that particularly to show me my sin and show me my need of a Savior, that was gone. And so it was definitely a new song uh, in my case, and it should be for all of us. And some, some who maybe that wasn't instrumental in their salvation, they struggle with that so much more. And they say, well, I can, man, I can play that, and they want to play it, and, you know, they don't understand that they have to, change the the style does not honor the lord and uh well psalm 33 verse 3 sing unto him a new song in the psalm 96 verse 1 uh oh sing unto the lord a new song psalm 98 verse 1 oh sing unto the lord a new song psalm 144 verse 9 i will sing a new song unto thee O god psalm 149 verse 1 praise ye lord sing unto the lord a new song 
and his praise in the congregation of saints. Well, they're singing, you know, in a group. Psalm 42, verse 10, Sing unto the Lord a new song in his praise from the end of the earth. And we already read Revelation 5, verse 9, and they sung a new song. It's a, a new song that God puts in our hearts, and then it comes out, uh, because what's in the heart will come out. Um, I, I like, I, I need to read a book that Brother Walker referred me to, and I don't have yet, uh, but uh, one uh, an excellent book, although it's not, I have some disagreements with some parts of it, that uh, Tim Fisher wrote uh, is uh, The Battle for Christian Music, I believe it's called. And he, he comes up with the definition of Christian music that I like a great deal. He said, Christian music is music in which the text, that's the words, the music, the minister, and the ministering manner or ministering practices are conforming to the image of Christ. And he defines rock music, music in which the text, music, performers, and performance practices are conforming to the image of the earthly, sensual, and devilish. Uh, And uh, one of the characteristics of rock and roll is it's very repetitious. Somebody told me this, and I, I just about, it made me about fall over, but it's so true. All this music, they call it praise and worship music. And they say, oh, the 7-Eleven music. 7-Eleven music? What are you talking about? Oh, seven words singing 11 times. <laughs> They're using the characteristics of rock music. Even that stuff, some of it is okay as far as the style of music, but it's so overly repetitious. It makes me sick. I can't stand it. And uh, it just, the same thing over and over, you know, and it's, oh, it's terrible. Uh but uh, as we read in Ezekiel about uh, Satan, I believe, and Ezekiel 28 talks about Satan, and he was an instrumental angel. He had uh, pipes. It's at verse 14, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of, of God. Uh, <clears throat> but then it said something about the... The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in the in the day that thou wast created, and this is has reference to musical instruments. I believe that Satan, uh, before he fell, was one. Well, he was an archangel, it tells us, and he had great musical ability given to him by God. Don't think when he fell, he's not going to use that against God. He's going to use every thing that God gave him to oppose God and I think he had special skill based on these verses he has special skill in music and he sure is using it today um wanted to turn to that oh speaking of that uh, brother Walker gave me something on drums and I, I it's very lengthy and but here um, from a different source than what he gave me uh some like to say some performers, musicians, whatever they call them. They've studied the ancient beats of satanic worship. Some of them taking trips to Africa and to Haiti and these places to study this stuff. Voodoo and all this stuff that takes place in the jungle and all that. And uh, Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones. John Phillips of the Mamas and the Papas. Paul McCartney of the Beatles. Mick Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac. Jimmy Page and Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin. 
Now, I've heard of a few of these names, but, I mean, I've been out of rock music so long, and very few of these ring a bell. Some of those are, are pretty old anyway, but uh, fortunately, my involvement in rock music was limited because of the limited time at 11 and 12 years of age, for which I am thankful. But some of those ring a bell at least a little bit. Maybe I didn't like their music, but these people have, they have studied satanic beats of music. And why did they study? Well, they incorporated it into their music. And that's why they did it. And uh, speaking of the, the beat, uh, we could talk about the three primary components of music. Well, you have, or three components of music. There's melody, harmony, and rhythm. Uh, that You can't have music without melody and rhythm. You could have music without harmony. Uh, but you can't have music without rhythm. But there has to be some timing. And you can't have music without melody. By definition... Rap music is not music. There is no melody. None. And so it is not music in, in the least. And some rock musicians have even admitted that even rock music, as they call it, is not music either. Uh, because the, the melody is so far in the background. But uh, in that verse that Pastor referred to, Ephesians 5, 19, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. What's the most important, according to God? Melody. It's not the harmony and the rhythm. You can't have music without rhythm. Uh, just like you couldn't be sitting here alive without a pulse. But if I'm looking at one of you, all of a sudden I see this big bulging in your neck. 60 times a minute. And you know, that's your pulse. I would say, man, he has got a problem. Let's call 911, get the ambulance out here. This guy's about to have an aneurysm in his neck and burst, and he's going to bleed all over the place and die. So when, the, when, the, when that pulse comes to the forefront, there's a problem. And when the rhythm of the music comes to the forefront, that's what they use the drums for. It emphasizes that, that pounding rhythm. And, uh, I mean, uh, there was a guy who lived next to me in college, and he was a drummer. That guy, he could play the drums, too. I mean, not, not that it was good because it's wicked. But, boy, he knew how to play it, though. He, he could do one rhythm in one hand, another rhythm in the other hand. And I was like, how in the world can you do that stuff? <laughs> I mean, I can't do it at all. <laughs> I'm glad I can't. But anyway, uh, but that is the primary component. I mean, you can, you can go and watch some guy. They have, I don't know what they have, some drum set. I don't know if there's seven drums and two cymbals. I don't know what it is. And they'll get there and doing their feet. And, man, they're going to town. And that's like, that's, it's almost like their music. But there's no melody. And there's no harmony, it's just drums, that's all it is. All it is is rhythm. And uh, I mean, they're pretty skillful at it, but, uh, but it's messed up. But, and the, the, it's all rhythm. It's not truly music. There's no melody in the, in the least. And sometimes these, these supposedly rock songs, they have melody, but it's so subdued because the beat is over-pounding it that you can hardly recognize it, that it's there. Uh, just like you rap, well, it just you don't need it at all. That's what happened. The music, the melody was put in the background, and soon, well, we don't even need it. So they went with rap. You don't even have the melody at all, and uh, and the harmony. And then uh, you you can have music without harmony, but there's uh, harmony, there's consonance and dissonance. Consonance, it's working together, and dissonance, it's kind of pulling apart. And you know. We have spices. We have, for example, as simple as spices maybe would be salt and pepper. And, you know, you don't just eat salt. 
You don't just pull out a bucket of salt. Man, I'm going to eat salt. Now, you can sprinkle a little salt and a little pepper on your foods, and it brings out some extra taste. Some things are very bland if, unless you put some salt or pepper on them. Um, but, I mean, it's food. You can eat it without it. But it kind of tends to bring out some flavors that are in there that you can't recognize without that salt. But if you just start dumping, you know, the whole, whatever that thing is, I don't know, a quart of salt on there, man, it's going to be bad news. I wouldn't want to eat it. Uh, and so, you know, harmony, we've got the, the dissonance especially. You know, you can have dissonance in a song. And, it, and a lot of times we play, you know, a different song, we have it in a minor key because maybe it's something about Christ's suffering or even dissonance because we're talking about Christ's suffering or our sin and how black it is. And that's the proper use of dissonance and harmony in, by these Christian composers and arrangers to emphasize the message, to bring out some things that you might not get in that message without that, just like the salt and pepper bringing out those flavors. But if you overuse that dissonance, rock and roll uses it, <laughs> overuses it. If you overuse that stuff, you've ruined it. Uh, it's, it's, but anyway, uh, the, about um, rhythm, uh, rock and roll, uh, same, same illustration of the salt and pepper. There, there is a beat, but music primarily has the emphasis on the downbeat. And that may be a little technical for some of you. The music's divided into measures, which is certain, it, it repeats itself over the time, uh, song. And, uh, greatly and the emphasis of the music should be on the downbeat and you can even reverse that once in a while again the salt and pepper illustration for an effect to emphasize something but when it's overdone there's a big problem and it, it actually has physical effects on your body can can uh, change your pulse rate and things like that and like the emphasis on the downbeat there's another thing called backbeat uh, where you emphasize different than the downbeat or breakbeat, um, and your music in a measure, say there's four beats. So your primary emphasis is on one, your secondary emphasis will be on three, and two and four will be unemphasized. But then, then, then when you have eighth notes, those are called, uh, if you were leading singing in a 4-4 four, four time, it'd be one, two, three, and I might be doing it wrong, I can't remember, four. But if you have an eighth note, there's one and, two and, three and, four and, and I can't remember the song, but, but there's some rock songs, and they, they, they emphasize the and. One, and, two, and, three, and, four, and. And they emphasize it, and it's constant. It's driving. It's fast. And it's terrible. And it, that's rock music. They'll do it. And uh, the music, uh, the mu- again, about Christian music and using, using rock music for Christian purposes, the music has to match the message. You know, we go out there and we believe we should preach Christ, whether it be on the street, in the pulpit, or witnessing at the door-to-door. But the music has to match the message just like that. If you're out there preaching Christ, the worst case, I mean, if you were preaching Christ, dressed in a bikini, it doesn't match. Uh, if you write, Jesus saves, graffiti on a bridge, well, if, he's, if Jesus, is, Jesus saves, why in the world do these people have to break the law to get the message out? Uh, it doesn't match, and the music of the world doesn't match. Uh, so, about me- back to melody, though. Some, some things about melody. 
Melody has a rise and a fall. It's not static. Uh, chant music. It can have a hypnotic effect. That's not a good thing. Uh, you're losing control to something else, and that means it can be wicked. Um, we should be controlled by the Spirit. Um, it must have satisfying portions. It's got to have a beginning, middle, and end. I did it last time, and Jenna told me later. I went up and I played a C scale, except I left out the last one. I said, Do, Re, uh, oh, I'll do it again. <laughs> it's so interesting. Uh, anyway, I've got to remember how to find a C. Yeah, that's it. And I stopped there, and Jenna was about ready to come up and go. <laughs> it's got to have an ending. Uh, beginning, middle, and end. Satisfying proportions. Uh, climax and resolution. Just about like we talked about the mountain. Uh, you know, there's a climax and then it resolves. And then it, mu- the melody elicits an emotional response. Music, that is the part that really gets the emotional response. The rhythm is more of a physical response. That high tempo would definitely increase your heart rate. Uh, the The rhythm. And then the harmony, that can likewise have that effect, that, that dissonance. It just like, yeah, you know, taking the fingernails across the chalkboard and things like that. It's dissonance type stuff. And uh, talking about the, the uh, okay, we had the Christian music was where the text, that's the words. And there's not usually too much problem, although we can have go back to the 7-Eleven music. Most people will agree that the text, the words, have to have a Christian emphasis in order for it to be Christian music. Um, but they should be specifically talking about Christ. Some of this stuff that's Christian music, you could take it and be have it be, and it, you know it's not. It's contemporary Christian music. It's 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 just it's the worlds and all that. But some of that stuff, it never mentions the name of God or anything. You, it could be uh, a song from a husband to a wife, just as much as between us and the Lord. It doesn't mention the name of God. And so anyway, the text must conform to the image of Christ. The music must conform to the image of Christ. The minister. Again, I talked about the life of the person. That must be conforming to the image of Christ. And uh, and some of these, I've got the one and I've, I've got to get it. Where is that one quote? It's unbelievable. <laughs> the uh, Robert Sweet of the band Striper. This is supposed to be a Christian rock band. Okay, don't listen to him. He says this. We're not religious fanatics who are trying to convert everybody, but it should be. Should That's going, out, going into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're not religious fanatics who are trying to convert everybody we meet. We're not trying to shut down rock radio stations or make magazines go out of business. We honestly believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior. But we're about the most unreligious Christian band you could imagine. Religion is real for us, but so is rock and roll. He says he's unreligious. Crazy stuff. And some of these people... Have, you know, are guilty of terrible foreign... I, I don't know if it's him, but it may be. I don't know. They're into drugs. They're into fornication and just all kinds of wickedness. And these are supposedly the Christian musicians. Um, so the, the minister doesn't conform to the image of Christ. It doesn't fit. Um, and then uh, the, the uh, ministering manner, how they, they actually minister... And just for one, just first take a look at the clothes. I already used my extreme example about preaching, but same with the rock band. I, I had met a guy, and he said he was in this uh, Christian rock band, as it was, and they said, well, we want you to wear these 
spandex pants, and they're really skin tight. And this is a man, he's like, I'm not wearing that stuff. And I was, I'm glad he didn't, but he still wasn't straight on his music when I met him. But he, he knew that it was wrong to wear that stuff. It's immodest and, and such. But that's what these people do. They come and they're, and some of these other Christian rock bands, supposedly, I mean, you see their picture and it looked like, I mean, their hairstyles are way out and weirdo and long, too. Uh, not all of them, but some of them just have this terrible, crazy, fad haircuts. Uh, some of them, they don't have proper clothing on top. And their clothing on, on the, the bottom is, you know, that skin tight. Look like they put it on with a spray can. Uh, and, you know, it just totally. And, but if you went to the bank to get a loan and the vice president came out to you saying, yeah, we'll offer you this loan. And uh, he came out to you dressed like some of these Christian musicians are like, supposedly Christian musicians. You would probably find a different bank. I sure would. I mean, no way, man. This guy's whacked out. It makes a difference. They've done all kinds of studies on productivity and how people are dressed, and they have dress-down days sometimes, some of these places. And the productivity was always down. Jacob, he's out there trying to sell stuff, sell business machines out in Austin. Does he go there dressed? You know, how's he go there dressed? He, he probably, although he's dressed decent, he doesn't go to work like that. He goes to work maybe like me or maybe without the coat. That's how he goes to work because they expect a professional image. And I guarantee if he went dressed like he is now, he wouldn't sell as much. <laughs> He'd be sent home. Well, that's his work. But, uh, but, I mean, but the people, even if he was allowed to dress like that, the people that he goes to, these, the, these, these people that are in charge of buying, they're not going to have the respect for him. And preachers that come to the pulpit without wearing a tie. And I, I mean, I know some of them take their tie off, and that's fine. But most of them have the decency when they come up, they have a tie on. And most of them have a coat on. I know Doug Thompson, he's got his tie off by the time he's done praying. But, I mean, that guy, he's just, well, I mean, he sweats so bad and he can't help it. It's a physical thing. But he comes to the pulpit wearing a coat and a tie. And I know he unbuttons his shirt and everything. I mean, he's, he's a wild man, but that's okay. He preaches. He really preaches very well. But people respect him because the way he comes to the pulpit dressed. And uh, so the ministering manner also needs to agree and conform to the image of Christ. And needs to be respectable and proper. And uh, some of these little illustrations uh, about, you know, we have windows. There's a window. And you go into some of these fancy houses and you see a window. And the window has all this carving and etching. And we have kind of two purposes for windows. You want to see what's outside and some is to let in light. Now, if the lead-in light part, uh, most almost any window will do that. But if we want to see what's outside, you can have a window that's so darkly tinted, you can't see what's out there. Or you can have a window that's so much carved and ornate, you can't see what's out there. Or you can have a window that's just plain dirty. Nobody's taking time to clean it, and you can't see outside. But what do we want? We want a clear window, one that's clean, and one that's not have all these carvings on. And so we can draw attention to ourselves as a music minister. We can sit here and we can not be well rehearsed. That's a dirty window. Or we can be so flashy in our clothing that you can't see Christ, which is what we're trying to see because we're flashy. Or we're doing all these vocal gymnastics or, uh, and maybe even the not, not necessarily sinful but some that would be, uh, some of these things, overuse of all this sliding. Why don't we get 
get to the pitch and be right there. Why do we have to be sloppy? And uh, some of that, it's, it's rehearsed to be sloppy, but it's sloppy nonetheless. Um, all these things. You can't see Jesus because our attention is drawn to the person who's singing. Or uh, we're sitting here and I won't use their microphone. I'll use one of ours. We're sitting here. Oh, I can't disconnect that thing. I don't know how to do it. But we're sitting here and we're, we're, we're uh, maybe even swaying unnecessary movements or we're uh, treating this thing like a lollipop or something. All these different kinds of things. Um, I don't, Frank Sinatra is very way back that I don't really, I've heard of him, but I'm told that he's the one who popularized making the microphone kind of a part of the act. Um, and, and so it drew attention to him. And we as Christian musicians, they can do the same thing. And of course, there's another problem with microphones. I mean, when they about swallow it, you know, there's a problem. And there, here's, there, here's the problem. And the pastor used this in men's prayer meeting. And some of you may know it. But, Brother James, you mind being an example for me for a little bit? Brother James, please come on up here. Please don't be offended by what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to be strange, okay? But when James and I are talking on a normal basis, we talk probably about this distance. Would you say that's about right? Now, sometimes if there's a bunch of people in the fellowship hall, we might talk a little closer. But on a normal basis, we're probably going to be about this far when we talk, if it's not real crowded. Now, uh, my wife's not here, is she? Okay, not right now. She's preparing the meal. Um, but I might talk to my wife oftentimes closer. In fact, uh, or, or say a close friend, maybe. Uh, but my wife particularly. But, you know, sometimes I talk to my wife. Please don't, just don't bite me now. I might talk to my wife like this. Okay, thank you very much. But if I start talking to James like that, you might think I had something wrong with me. And, you, and you'd be right. I would. <laughs> but that's the same thing we can do with a microphone. Here we go back to the microphone. Okay. We, that, that you get a different tone. You can actually hear some of the air coming out that you can't hear when they're at arm's length or slightly greater. You can't hear that air. When I take that microphone and I start putting the thing closer and closer, you start hearing that air and... I've broken down the barriers of the space. You know, there's the personal personal space. Uh, and, you know, when you talk to a stranger, you, you'll even talk a little bit farther than you would someone that you know. I know James, uh, but not real well. But, you know, a total stranger, I'm going to talk a little bit farther away. Then there's, and then there's the person that I know I'm at least familiar with. And then there's the intimate zone. I talk to, I hold my kids. You know, especially my real young ones, even my older ones, you know. I hold my kids, and they'll be right there next to me, and their face might be six inches from my face. And there's no problem with that. That's the intimate zone. When you start doing that with a microphone, you're bringing that person into the intimate zone. With, and, and that sound, being, because it's amplified, even though you may be 100 feet away, you get some of that same effect. It's not all there. I understand that. But that is another problem with microphones that we have in the ministering manner. We ought to de-emphasize the use of the microphone. What are we trying to see? We're trying to see Jesus. We're trying to see the Lord. And so we want to de-emphasize the microphone. We want to de-emphasize and we want to have the proper appearance, but we don't want to have the flashy appearance that would draw attention to us. We don't want to have the unrehearsed uh, where, you know, I mean, we make mistakes. I mean, we, sometimes, you know, when we're preaching, we say stupid things and, and uh but it's, we, it's not that we haven't tried at least our best to rehearse and have things in order. And there's so many uh, 
Sharon's not here either, is she? I'm going to have her do that one uh, about that. But there's those, uh, our church has this uh, two different melodies for At Calvary, and you get a, a different message. You got the regular melody for At Calvary. It's kind of a march tune. Years I spent in vanity and pride. But you get a different message when we say, Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died. On Calvary, on Calvary. It's a different message. I mean, the words are the same, but we have a different musical effect that's going to affect us differently uh, on that. And how how we receive it, and that uh, some of those parts I, I think that I really prefer that other melody that's been written. I think it's written by Joan Pinkston because it emphasizes. It seems to match the words in my mind better than the familiar tune that we have. I'm not against, it. but I really like that new melody that's out there because it emphasizes. It just so much goes with you know that knowing not, and of course I you know in addition I was. Crescendoing, decrescendoing means I'm getting louder and softer, emphasizing certain parts. I didn't know. Uh, knowing not it was for me, he died. Uh, and, so, you know, emphasizing those things. And so what are we trying to see? We're trying to see Jesus. I'm not doing that so that so you see me, my, that I can sing real loud or I can sing real soft or whatever. I'm doing that so that you see what is that trying to communicate. You know, we're trying to see Jesus. I haven't, I've tried, I, most of this has been a repeat, but, you know, hopefully you've heard something this time that can, that can help you as we try to pick out the proper music. And the wrong music is out there in church after church after church. Be discerning. Pastor said, try the spirits yesterday. And sometimes I hear some music and I don't know what's wrong with it. But there's something wrong. And I want to get away from it. I want to be as far away from it as I can. Um, Here's one other last thing. Um, Christians, Music, and Associations. An excellent paper written by Dwayne Ream. I'm not allowed to copy. It's copyright. It's from the Ohio Bible Fellowship. It's the visitor. And it doesn't even have a date on here. I sure wish it did so I'd know which one to order. Because I thought this was a one-time printing, but it's not. They have this apparently on some type of regular basis, but this guy, he says about separation, you know, if we have an association of music, and for example, Bill Gaither, I got a copy of a memorandum that he wrote in 1973. It's a pretty poor copy, but who knows what generation this thing is, 20th or 30th, and, uh, you know, copy of a copy of a copy, and he's saying how, you know, that this this song had a problem with the the words, the theology behind the words. Some people said, "Hey, well, you know what? That doesn't match the Bible." And he said, "Well, if uh, you know, we were inspired to write that, they were almost claiming inspiration on equal level with the Scripture." But Gaither, his music, some of his songs in the very beginning of his ministry, as we might call it, there, and his style of music was pretty good. He sang some pretty good stuff. I won't have anything to do with Bill Gaither because what he does now. Nothing. I won't sing his old songs. I don't care because, and somebody listens to that, oh, Gaither's okay, and they'll go get the newest Gaither tape, and phew, there they go. We've got to have proper separation, and that's what this is all about. The 
wrong associations in music. And we need to have nothing to do with the world. We are to abstain from all appearance of evil. That's very strong. We better do what God says. Or we're in disobedience to His Word.